0: I was born in a small town called Masjid Suleiman in southern Iran. I was born in Syria. I was
1: born in Hamburg, Germany. I
0: was born in Congo. I was born in Tanzania in a refugee
1: camp. I was born in Singapore. I'm
0: from Ireland. I was born in Thailand refugee I was born in Mumbai.
2: I was born in Vientiane, Laos. I was
0: born in England. I was born in Costa Rica.
1: Welcome to Many Roads to Hear. Bringing the voices of immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers to a national conversation about migration and identity. I'm your host, Caitlin Dwyer. Cindy Avila Gutierrez was born in Morelos, Mexico. At the age of two, she was brought to the United States to live with her parents in Oregon. Arriving without formal paperwork, Cindy's family was considered undocumented. Without any legal protections, they faced hardships and uncertainty. These experiences fueled a fire in Cindy, who became an advocacy leader in the growing movement for DACA, or Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, to give undocumented immigrants like her greater legal protections and opportunities in the United States. Natalia Lopez has her story.
2: My father
1: was the first person to um,
2: come to the United States. And so he came, worked, uh, made enough to have my mom uh, come over. We didn't see my mom for about half a year uh, because they were both working and really trying to save enough money to have us uh, come over as well. So we grew up with our uh, aunts, um, the rest of our family back in our hometown, and then uh, we were able to to come on over to be reunited with our parents. My parents started to work uh, in agricultural fields. They picked strawberries, all types of berries, worked in canneries, often pulled uh, double shifts to make sure that they they had enough to provide for our families. And so I remember growing up in a house, we shared a house with another family. And so we were living in a room for a short period of time, then moved to migrant housing. And that's where I have a lot of my Younger memories in elementary school, living in migrant housing, um, and going to school in the Woodburn School District.
0: Cindy remembers elementary school as a happy time, where she started to learn English and began to make friends in her new neighborhood. It was also a time when she realized how different she was from other classmates.
2: When I first found out that I was undocumented, I was in elementary school. It was about second, third grade I had a student um, ask me if I was going to Mexico for summer break because a lot of the students were going to go back and visit their hometowns. And she asked me, do you have papers? And I thought she was first talking about school papers. I was like, yeah, we all do. But she's like, no, papers to travel to go back to Mexico. And so I, I left school very confused uh, I asked my mom, and she then explained to me that we didn't have any papers and that we were undocumented. And so that was when I first started to realize that not just my family, but a lot of family uh, families in my um, classroom and my neighborhood were in the same situation where we couldn't go back and travel, and we were under this label of undocumented my mom was upset, and at the time I didn't understand why, but now I, I understood it was because she was trying to protect me and she didn't want me to have those conversations. And it was more so of like, let's keep this a secret because we don't know what can happen. It's a safety concern. It was a taboo conversation that I couldn't even really have in my family.
0: Being undocumented meant having no official registered presence in the United States and no access to important legal identification, such as a social security number or even a driver's license. Growing up, Cindy kept herself busy with everyday teenage activities, like sports and after-school clubs. Over time, however, Cindy's legal status began to cast a shadow over her daily life. I
2: started working when I was 16 years old. I started working one job, and then the summer times I would work two jobs. And um, at an early age, I was like, I want to have my parents not be financially, um, or, like, I don't want to be a dependent of them um, with all, like, financial purposes. So I'm going to get a job, and I'm going to pay for the things that I need to pay for so that that can alleviate some of their expenses. And so, and also with, like, employment, it was scary, you know, being able to try to figure out, like, how am I going to duck you know, um, having to pr- have proof that I have these legal documents when I'm applying. I would fill out the application. They'd be like, oh, yeah, you're qualified or, yeah, you're hired. We just need your, you know, social security card. I'd be like, oh, I forgot it. And they'd be like, oh, okay, that's, that's fine. You can bring it next week and just come up with an excuse until they forgot. I would try to figure out and ways in which we can dodge and create some of those loopholes.
0: Despite these challenges, Cindy pursued her interests. She became involved in activism and even started an animal rights club at her high school. Motivated to learn more about social justice and community organizing, she began researching the college application process. When I started learning more
2: about the process of uh, college applications and how I didn't qualify for FAFSA, it was depressing. There wasn't a lot of um, scholarships at that time that didn't require a Social Security or that uh, FAFSA was part of the requirements. So, I mean, I talked to the counselor, but it was like a dead-end type of conversation. It was more so, well, you're undocumented. There's no options for you. I'm sorry to say, but you can't go to university. You need to provide some type of residency or uh, citizenship. Uh, the best that you can do is perhaps tr- try a community college. It was it was a dead end street, so it was very depressing. I just applied. I applied for a scholarship that would pay all of my tuition. I applied for it knowing that my application was incomplete because of the FAFSA requirement. Got called in, made it to the finals, and then when I was asked, "Why is your application incomplete?" I was really honest and expressed how I deserved. (laughs) And anyone that was in this situation deserves to have this opportunity um, because that was my only way of pursuing my education. There was no other option. And she said, you're right. She gave me that opportunity, and, and that changed my life.
0: This life-altering yes gave Cindy the opportunity to attend Portland State University, where she continued her activism, this time with a focus on immigrant rights. I knew that my hub
2: was going to be activism, so I I was very involved in student clubs. I joined MECHA um, at PSU, Las Mujeres, and then combined that with my studies and, and working my jobs. That led me to go outside of campus and reach out to some of the nonprofit organizations within the Portland metro area. So I I reached out to Jobs with Justice. So I know they did a lot of uh, coalition work. And so learning about the labor movement, learning about all of these different um, struggles, I was able to see what is happening on the ground locally and also uh, statewide And so I was able to do a lot of immigrant justice work and uh, later be able to be part of the
0: board and do a lot of other really amazing work locally in Portland. After graduating with a bachelor's in women, gender and sexuality studies in 2011, Cindy continued with her advocacy work. She joined with local groups in Portland to organize the community in fighting for immigrant rights. It was at one of these local advocacy rallies, in the midst of 200 people, all coming together in front of City Hall to protest against the bill that would further take away the rights of undocumented immigrants, that Cindy stepped forward to finally share her own story.
2: And so at this uh, action, there was a group of undocumented youth that joined and uh, were able to come out of the shadows. And they... Had a call, a call to being like if there's anybody else in the audience that would like to join us, know that you're not alone, and you can, you know, express how you feel without having to hide. And so, I also was really just tired of of keeping this dark secret, and I was frustrated about it. So I was like, well, you know what? I have this group of youth like that have very similar experiences to me. I know that. They're going to be protecting me, and we're going to protect one another, and we're going to get through this together. And so I didn't know any of them, but I came out. I shared my story. I shared my story of coming to this country, of knowing when I was undocumented at a very young age, of um, just graduating from Portland State and really not knowing what the future had in store for me because of this uh, undocumented status and how frustrating that was and how unjust that was. I came out of the crowd. I was trembling. I was, my my my, pom- my palms were super sweaty. My heart was racing. But I knew that that was something I needed to do. And so um, right then and there, I was like, I am undocumented and I am unafraid. That's our, that was our chant. Yeah. <laughs> And it was it was liberating. Yeah.
0: In two thousand and twelve, the Obama administration officially created the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA program which provided thousands of undocumented immigrants some legal protections and access to greater employment opportunities. This program was the result of years of tireless advocacy from immigrant rights advocates like Cindy. I
2: knew that the president um, had to take action because it was continuing to be a bigger issue that was getting a lot more media coverage. um, And that was something that we were going to continue to fight for. So we would have a lot of the conversations with, like, local politicians uh, trying to, you know, speak to our governor, figuring out, like, what are what are we doing statewide? What are you doing to have some type of relief or some type of solution at the national level? And, um, you know, we were able to fight for, for DACA. We made DACA happen. It wasn't something that, you know, the— um, Obama administration just granted out of the kindness of their heart. It was something that um, was done because of civil disobedience. It was things that were done, you know, nationally through a lot of different um, groups and community members from all cultural backgrounds. I was excited and I was also really proud of um, all the undocumented efforts that led up to having the president sign uh, DACA. And this was something that we needed. We need DACA. It's a stepping stone because we, we need to work. We need to be able to provide for our families, to contribute to um, our society, and to be able to have access to those services. And so um, that having DACA was going to facilitate navigating our undocumented status a little bit easier.
0: After several years, Cindy returned to Portland State University to earn her master's in education. She became an elementary school teacher still very much committed to immigrant rights. So I have been teaching for the last five years.
2: Um, I've taught second grade, fourth grade, and fifth grade. And um, now I'm on uh, exploring the administrative path. Uh, I think being able to guide and um, understand how to advance uh, programs that impact families and our community members in a positive way and continue to grant more educational opportunities for our students is something that really um, intrigues me. And one of my greatest gifts is um, being able to connect and see all of my students, not just my undocumented students, but also like my students from various backgrounds is just embracing that our differences are not what divides us, but there are things that should be celebrated. At school, it's a safe place. They belong and they're loved and they're going to be uh, looked after and they're also going to to learn and have like a rigorous study. And so it's, it's like their second home and, and they know that. Um, not only am I Latina, but I also have DACA. And so being able to share that with them, uh, I'm able to have that, you know, cultural relevance. And and they see their mom in me. They see their, their older sister or their cousins. They're like, oh, you know, I have a family member that's in the same situation. And wow, you're a teacher. Or like, wow, now you're a principal. Like, that's so cool. Like, my my sister can be it too, or my brother can be it too, you know, so... Um, I've always really wanted to make sure that we share some of those, those victories and we share the, the ways in which we can continue to persevere regardless of these obstacles because um, it does not dictate our infinite
0: potential. While the creation of DACA was a huge milestone for immigrant rights, its existence has been threatened repeatedly in the past several years. In 2017, the Trump administration rescinded DACA and put the lives of thousands of its recipients into legal limbo as the ruling made its way through the U.S. court system.
2: They really didn't even know what would happen and how they would continue to move on um, in their, you know, personal lives um, because we're talking about students that have only known DACA, you know, growing up. Um, so they, they never got to experience you know, what my generation got to experience or what I grew up is where it's like we didn't have any type of of work authorization or protections. I'm really happy that our school district was very clear about that and issuing a statement that all of our students and all of our families are accepted uh, regardless of of, uh, that legal status, but also figuring out ways in which we can extend those supports outside of our um, buildings. I wanted to make sure that that we didn't get stuck collectively in that despair because I know that for a lot of, like, young families and a lot of students, this was something that, you know, was um, unsettling, not knowing what was going to happen and seeing DACA continuously be on, in the courts and having our president back then um, be so adamant about not providing protections or care um, just having total disregard for our undocumented community members. Um, and so uh, being able to change the narrative and saying that within our schools and within my classroom, in our classrooms, and in our community, we are going to support each other. And you are not alone.
0: In June of 2020, the Supreme Court ruled in a 5-4 to four decision that DACA could continue though still with no guaranteed pathway to citizenship for its participants. As of September 2022, DACA is still in place, but this status could change at any time with a single court injunction or a change in a presidential administration's policies. It's also something that's, like,
2: exhausting because it's just like, oh, I can't believe that this is a reality that we still have to face, and, you know, there still isn't a pathway towards citizenship for all. It's heartbreaking because you get to, you know, be reminded of how many people are suffering and how many families have been displaced and separated. Um, so, yeah, it's a little bit of everything, you know, but I think, I think it's okay. It's okay to just feel everything and know that, you know, at the end of the day, we're never alone, you know, so, yeah it's it's hard, it's hard to talk about it still, and there's moments where it's just like you get to uh to like hone in and like feel that resiliency, but it's still very traumatic, and it's okay if we're like we're feeling sad, it's okay if we're feeling frustrated or depressed or just a mix of everything. you know it's it's part of um navigating our situation, but then also. Processing and healing and fighting back and never, like, losing that hope. I think being able to, um, uh, you know, outside of um, my educational work, continue to do, like, political work is super important to me. Um, I don't ever see that stopping. But I think that it's going to take a lot of different um work a- across various sectors and across various platforms to push for something um, at the legislative level, um, at the federal level. We need to continue to add pressure. We need to continue to be out in the streets. We need to be continue to work on campaigns at a local live- level, a state level, national level, to make sure that this is not an issue that is forgotten about.
1: Many Roads to Hear is a production of The Immigrant Story. This episode was produced by Natalia Lopez and with audio editing and post-production by Todd Bays. The original interview was conducted in March of 2022 by Isabel Williams and our illustrious executive producer, Sankar Raman. Thank you to St. Andrew Lutheran Church in Beaverton for the use of their space to record this interview. This episode is made possible by a generous contribution from the Oregon Cultural Trust. For more stories, visit theimmigrantstory.org backslash manyroads, listen live at prp.fm, or stream us wherever you get your podcasts.